You are listening to Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan, and on this show, we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fantasy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture, and here's why. I mean, Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for Dune and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me get my hopes up. The Academy has disappointed me too many times. Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room. I can't remember the last time I walked out of the movie theater on such a high. No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. Never count the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies. And the Oscar goes to... Welcome to episode 52 of Fancy Filmball. My name is Dill. And my name is Matt. And this is a show where we turn movies into sports and sports into something we don't talk about here. And today, we are going to be talking about something a little bit different. No, we're not talking about past lives this week. We are talking about Transformers, Rise of the Beasts. Oh, yeah. Which is the only important thing this week, of course. The only worthwhile thing that came out in theaters. But we're also going to be doing some new acting category predictions. Because you know we're always hitting you with those new predictions. And we're also going to be talking about this, this fresh poor things trailer oh oh my god super excited yeah so this is gonna be this is gonna be a a bit of a weird day but like kind of fun i think it's kind of fun that we're talking about transformers of of all things uh so how are you doing this week dylan I am doing good. I'm really excited, like you mentioned. We're kind of jumping all over the place. We're hitting all these demographics. I mean, we got Oscars. We got a very indie-type movie. We have Rise of the Beast. And then we're even (laughs) going to be doing a robot draft because – um. Since I didn't get to see past lives this week, we can do the A24 draft. Yeah, we were going to draft A24, but like – somehow Washington, D.C. doesn't have past lives this week? Somehow. Crazy, crazy. It's nuts. But Dylan, because we're talking Transformers this week, I want to know a little bit more about you. I feel like everyone as a kid had like a favorite childhood toy. And that's where like I know most of my stuff about Transformers from. That was never my childhood toy. But I had friends that were like all about the Transformers. They knew everything. Uh, So what was your like childhood toy, childhood obsession? So I know for a while it was Legos. I had all the sets. I made my own personal Lego cities. And then once upon a time, I brought a friend over and that friend happened to leave with multiple of my Legos, uh, little minifigures. So then my obsession kind of stopped there because like, well, if I lost this one Batman, nothing else matters. Um, So then that eventually went, uh, I think before Legos, it was Pokemon, but I think it was Pokemon to Legos. Mantra trucks were in there sometime. And then the Lego thing ended around like fifth grade and then middle school, I think it just completely left toys to go into like music movies all that type of stuff damn dude that's not a real friend that's a fake friend exactly exactly how you, you steal my lego paid him back by burning his house down i don't think i was that drastic but i'm i'm sure i got him back somehow <laughs> uh, that's okay I, of, of course i'm kidding i don't condone arson arson my childhood toy i was really into pokemon pokemon taught me how to read so pokemon was like my thing I was never into Legos because I wasn't creative enough. I just have no spatial awareness. But for me, it was always like card games, Pokemon. I really got into Yu-Gi-Oh, Bakugan. You kidding? Beyblade. Ooh, ooh. Any of those? Bionicles. Like, Bionicles. Bi- oh my God! I forgot about Bionicles. Yes, Bionicles. That was amazing. When are we gonna do a classic review of Bionicle 
and the is it the blade of light the something of light i think we should start doing classic reviews and talk about bionicle movies because I that mean, would be great channel goes from here and we blow the roof off with subscriber yeah. growth well i mean the question that i have is the next time they make a bionicle movie it's it's winning best animated feature right it has to especially if they put in some cool art style like a very bland 2d like yeah. mm, we're gonna win oh real real talk though if lord and miller made a bionicle movie that would win most likely yeah yeah i think that's what we're missing out on we had the lego movie but there were no bionicles in it which is i know i think a crime worthy of the hague speaking of international jail that's where you and i are going to be sent to after doing these post can acting predictions oh, because God. We may have some hot takes in here, and some people may not like them because, you know, uh, since this is the podcast exclusive of it, this isn't going on YouTube, we kind of hit, hit our wall here recently of people who don't agree with us, and I like to see that because that's how you know <laughs> people are actually watching our videos. If they comment down below and said, you were oh, yeah. wrong about this, and I'm like, hey, I can't be right 100% of the time because I know I got a negative L, first L of the year contender with Little Mermaid not being our number one domestic box office of the summer. So, you know, oh, yeah. I'll accept it because you can't be right if you're not wrong at least once we're gonna love some acting predictions we're gonna love this poor things trailer and oh my god we may love rise of the beast we'll, we'll figure that out once we cross it and we will you haven't i've seen it you haven't seen it yet i'm not gonna not say at anything this point not at this at point, this point we're coming back we're, we're gonna talk about that later it's been a very fun discussion we could do this all day but let's dive into these acting predictions did best picture director and screenplays last time but today it's all about those acting performances well i guess if i'm starting it off let's talk best actress my Ooh. dude best actress the category that the stands come out for where everyone just tries to murder each other and gouge each other's eyes out actually this is my my least favorite part of the oscar race is uh the stands being stands on the internet but anyways let's talk about the category let's not talk about the stands so best actress where are we at right now answer i'm still saying fantasia Bruno takes the win here takes the w for the color purple i mean for one thing i think this is just going to be a magnificent performance it's a role that has won two different actresses tony awards lashans and cynthia arrivo have both won the tony award for this very role. It's a very meaty role. Fantasia did a great job with it on Broadway. You can find her performance in large chunks on YouTube. So you know kind of a little bit what to expect here. She is doing a lot here. It's a great role. And since I think the movie is winning Best Picture and Best Director, it only makes sense for me to say that it's going to win Best Actress as well because a reliable, reliable thing in the past few years has been that if you win Best Picture, an acting prize is probably going to come along with it. Everything Ever All at Once, Coda, Nomadland, not Parasite, because fuck Parasite, I guess. No acting nominations for you. But also, very much worth mentioning, Fantasia Barino would be the third woman of color and the second black woman to win this prize. And after last year's controversy, where people were very upset that Danielle Deadweiler and Viola Davis did not make the category, pointing to the Oscars as being racist for not nominating any black women in the category in a year with many fantastic performances 
from black women, this could be a way to address last year's controversy. I know the Oscars don't work like that. They're not a hive mind. It's 10,000 different people voting their own way. But I think that there will be a narrative there. And subconsciously, even if it's not a conscious decision to vote that way, uh, I do think subconsciously it will probably affect a little bit the same way that in 2015 we had the Oscars So White controversy. And in 2016, nominated for Best Picture, we had Fences, Hidden Figures, and winning Best Picture, Moonlight. I do think that subconsciously those types of controversies can sway the next year just through narrative. I also agree. I have Fantasia now at number one. I've been oh, a yeah. little bit skeptical in the past. I've been a little skeptical in the past. The trailer definitely did not help me out. However, my case for putting her at one now is looking at the competition. She makes the most sense. Eyes have gone on May December. Eyes have been on past lies. They haven't really said best actress winner and poor things while I'm really excited for it. I don't see the angle for Stone to win now that I have a visual to it. So while I don't feel great about Fantasia at one, it makes the most sense for where we're at right now. I'll talk a little bit about Stone once I get through my top five, because spoiler, she's not in my top five. But I do think that if anyone else wins Best Actress, it would probably be Emma Stone. At number two, I have Annette Benning in Nyad. Now, Annette Benning is playing a public figure, an author, and a athlete, Diana Nyad, who is the first person to swim from Cuba to Florida with no shark cage, and she did it at the age of 64, which is kind of wild. So in my eyes, this is going to be a very showy performance. It's going to be very big. It's going to be a very, uh, very much like an inspirational type movie that I think is going to connect with the older members of the Academy, the same way that like Ford v. Ferrari did. And Annette Benning has a huge overdue narrative. She's had four nominations. Many think that she should have won for American Beauty in 1999, but she was up against Hilary Swank for Boys Don't Cry, which is like kind of an unbeatable Oscar win right there. So Annette Benning is quite overdue. Uh, she could have that kind of Glenn Close energy coming through the season. But as we know, that type of narrative does not always work anymore. I'm going to say it won't this year, but I think that she's pretty good for a nomination. Might pick up like a Golden Globe win, possibly. That feels right. Then at number three, I have Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall. Now, I could have her for the zone of interest here. I don't. I have that at number eight because the difference with these performances is apparently in Anatomy of a Fall, she's doing a lot. She has a lot of dialogue. She speaks three different languages, I believe, in the film. I'm, I might be wrong about that, but I think she speaks English, French, and German through this film. It's apparently a very, very meaty role and a great performance. People have said that this is a Kate Blanchett in Tar level performance. Performance. If that is the case, I could see her being the critics leader with wins for this category this year. Also, in the past decade, we have had four nominations from non-English performances in this category, that being Penelope Cruz, Yalitza Aparicio, Isabel Huppert, and Marion Cotillard. So Sandra Huller would fit alongside those, and also would say Zone of Interest is going to help her in Anatomy of a Fall, because apparently she's very good in Zone of Interest, but doesn't talk much, doesn't do much, so it's just going to boost her profile for Anatomy of a Fall. You took the words right out of my mouth there with Hooler. I mean, 
right now I'm predicting her to be in two Best Picture nominees, and I think, like you said, both performances are going to help each other, just Anatomy of a Fall is, you know, the more showcasing one of the two. I think that you're a little high on Nyad across the board, but hey, that's what these early predictions are for, is to, you know, take those shots, because I'm high on yeah. some movies that you're not as high on. You're high on movies I'm not as high on. So I, I, I respect these two picks right here. To be fair, Nyad's not in my best picture now that May-December has been acquired by Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I only have Nyad with two nominations, actress and cinematography. So those are the two I have. Interesting, okay. Now at number four, I have Greta Lee in Past Lives. I am going to see Past Lives tomorrow, so I wish that I'd already seen it so that I could talk about it, but I have not already seen it, so I I can't really talk about Greta Lee. But let's just say I've heard amazing things about this performance. I think this is a surefire Best Picture nominee, likely original screenplay winner, possibly number two in Best Picture. If that is the case, then Greta Lee being in the top five here for Best Actress makes a lot of sense. And number five, I have Natalie Portman in May-December. We've heard so many good things about the performances in May-December. I wish I could put her a little bit higher. I just can't because I think that she's on the fence for maybe not even getting a nomination because people are saying this movie is very wacky, it's a little bit weird. I could see one of the performances from May-December getting left off for some reason. Either three out of three or two out of three of them will get nominations, but I think that they're going to spend the season on the chopping block outside of Charles Melton. I think he's safe, but I think Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore, because of the confusion of who's lead, who's supporting, I feel like they might be living on the edge a little bit with this movie. Netflix is really good at getting their actors in, regardless of the movies and pictures. So if it does make it to picture, I feel like she's probably in. But hey, the movie could be not an Oscar thing at all, and they have a whole other push, whether that is Nyad or The Killer or something that we don't even know about at this moment. So let's talk Emma Stone. Now, I've already said Emma Stone could be in win contention, but I think that there's a big if with that. And that's if the movie is a massive critical and audience success. Because even though I have poor things in Best Picture, I have this aching feeling that Emma Stone's performance is going to be very polarizing. I think some people are going to say it's the best performance of the year. And I think others are going to say she maybe did too much. Especially if the audience response is a little bit more similar to Babylon. I could still see this make best picture if that's the case. But I would expect a Margot Robbie situation where some people are saying she did perfectly. She's the best of the year. And others are saying she's just she just did too much here no matter what she does her performance is going to annoy some people especially if she does it really well if she really embodies that like childish feeling to it if the movie is like universally beloved it's like a favorite level success i think she is either number two or number one but if it has like a 60s to 70s metacritic uh lower audience score I would say that I could still see the movie getting a lot of other nominations, but she would be on the outside looking in. I could see this going two ways for Stone. It's either like you said, she's Margot Robbie in Babylon, where people are like, oh, she's great, just this movie's not really for us. Or she's Ana de Armas in Blonde, where they say this movie's not for us, but you're still coming along because we respect you as an actress. The difference, I think, is that Blonde was a very unsafe movie that voters really hated. But they mm-hmm. still liked Anna Diarmas because her performance was safe. Right? Same with Spencer. Kristen Stewart and Spencer, uh, not a safe movie, but a safe performance. And I'd say the same thing about Anna Diarmas in Blonde. And what we have here is a very unsafe performance, a very risky performance, a performance that's going to be very big and like outrageous 
while those other performances are a little bit more not reserved but you know what to expect out of them right like you're getting a biopic performance still again i think emma stone is either number one or she's number six now let's talk about the rest of the contenders that i've got here Uh, i first off have jessica lang for long day's journey into night at number seven lang already has two oscars for tootsie and blue sky Uh, She might not need a third Oscar. I I don't think she does, but she won the Tony for this role in Long Day's Journey into Night in 2016. And it reminds me a little bit of Denzel Washington in Fences, who was highly, highly praised for it on the stage and then went on to play that character on screen. Also got an Oscar nomination there. I don't think Lang will, but I think it's a possibility that we cannot write off. Then at number nine, I have Kate Winslet in Lee. Some people might yell at me for this, but what I'm going to say is this just feels like a Golden Globe actress drama nominee that just goes nowhere after that. It reminds me a lot of Rosamund Pike in A Private War, of Nicole Kidman in Destroyer, Jessica Chastain in Miss Sloan, or Jennifer Aniston in Cake. It's that type of nomination. We need those types of performances. That's why it's in my top 10 right there. Also because I think this category is pretty thin because at number 10 I have Margot Robbie in Barbie. Some people are going to be mad at me for saying this category is thin and then putting Margot Robbie at number 10. I see her getting a Golden Globe nomination even if the movie's a massive hit. I just don't see Margot Robbie in Barbie getting a Best Actress nomination, especially seeing what we've seen of the trailer. She looks like she's doing a good job, but it doesn't look like it's a revelation of acting. It just looks like a really fun performance. In addition to your 10, I would also still throw out Tiana Taylor in that like 8 to 15 range. Like, I don't think she's getting nominated, but she'll be there all season, like those critic type picks where like people are like, oh, maybe in like a, a Brian Tyree Henry Causeway way, but not going to happen at the end of the day. I don't know. It, it kind of feels to me, in terms of the critic push, it kind of feels to me like uh, John Boyega in Breaking, where we were like, oh, this is going to be like a critic pick, right? Like, critics will go for this. And then they just didn't. And that's kind of what Tayana Taylor feels like. But Dylan, take Best Actor away, because I know that there's going to be a lot of things in here that I, I disagree with. But I'm I'm the unpopular one on this one, so let's talk hey, about it. That number one, I have a new person. Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer, come to the top of the totem pole. The whole push with this movie so far has been him, and I mean it's three hours of acting. If he knocks out of the park, people get behind this movie. If Universal pushes it, I could see it going a long ways. While I don't feel great about having him at number one, I see the vision, and I'm going to stick to that in this moment. I mean, we are in June after all. Best Actor, I think more so than Best Actress. There's, There's not a clear number one. I think in Best Actress, most people have Fantasia at the moment. If they don't have Fantasia, they have Emma Stone, like you mentioned. So over here in Best Actor, there's like five or six names I could make an argument for to be at my number one. Just I'm leaning more Murphy this month than I did last month. And then who knows? The movie comes out next month and maybe he drops down or he solidifies his spot at number one. So this is a funny like thing to look at of how we do our prediction videos because we jump back and forth where like every month we totally swap it. Last month... Killian Murphy was at number seven and now he's at number one. It hasn't changed a whole lot for me because I still don't have a lot of faith in Oppenheimer. I'd love to see Killian Murphy get his flowers though, so that'd be nice. But what what do you have after Killian Murphy? That's I mean, you talk about flowers, and this is a movie in the performance I want to put at number one, but I just can't see Killers of the Flower Moon winning um three acting awards or maybe even two acting awards, so I can't have it sweeping like that. So I do have Leo at number two. I've heard the raise. This is his best performance in his career. I really want to put him at one. I have not heard like, a single person say that. What? I've heard, I, I've heard like, 
bites and write like little small things. So I haven't read a full review, just like okay. you know, the the headlines, and that's what I've seen on multiple occasions is people saying this is Leo's best in his career, best in years. Hey, I, I he can't, won I for can't... sleeping in a bear. Anything's possible. Uh, hey, he and he deserved that win. I will stand by the Revenant winning best actor to my dying day. But I can't I can't see it happen for Killers of the Flower Moon. I I just really can't. Some people might just be hope dicting it as like a it's gonna sweep and uh, mm-hmm. I. I don't know. I guess that would be Killers of the Flower Moon's like claim to best picture is a sweep picture director, screenplay, actor, supporting, maybe supporting times two, and then like a tech or two. But that's not going to happen. You know what else is probably not going to happen? Bradley Cooper and Best Actor. But guess what? I have him here. Maestro, number three. So it's been like six months of shitting on Maestro, but I'm warming up to it the closer that we get to fall festival season. I still think there's a small chance this is Netflix's main push. I know that you and I both have May December as the main push at the moment. However, if it is too camp, it is too wacky, Maestro's probably that next movie up. And maybe they try it and fail like they did with Glass Onion or Bardo or White Noise last year. But there's a chance where they try it and they succeed, like Trial or like Mank. I feel like since Cooper is directing this, he's playing a real-life person. He's going to be caked up in makeup. That can carry him a long ways in this category. I feel like he is the most vulnerable person in my top five. Everything I've heard about the movie is the movie is boring as shit. But Bradley Cooper is great, cinematography is great, and the makeup is great. Even if the movie is, like, very mediocre, it could be like being the Ricardos. The acting nomination to just come along anyways. I made the case last week when we talked about Best Picture that I think that Maestro could follow a similar path to The Whale, where people are like, no, it's not going to happen, and then it comes out of nowhere, and then it still misses Best Picture at the end of the day, but it still gets into key yeah. categories with Maestro, it's going to be actor maybe screenplay and hair and makeup and then anything else maybe not but those are the three yeah. i feel the best about at the moment however someone who i previously had at number one in this category the last time you heard me talk best actor it's all the way down to number four that's coleman domingo for rustin i know i just said netflix can get their actors in i still feel like they can get him in but i don't know if they can get him to a win of this movie's not a best picture player and it's not you know getting glowing reviews like this thing doesn't need to have a 90 on metacritic it just needs to be passable like elvis was last year i know Austin Butler didn't win, but that type of movie, and I don't think Rossin's going to end up like that. I would love to see Coleman Domingo get rewarded for something. I mean, he's had a great career, even though he hasn't had Colin many Purple. standout moments. Hasn't really... You know, Color Purple could happen. We'll see what happens to Best Supporting Actor here in a few minutes. But uh, Rustin, I'm losing my faith on as we go on. However, I do feel like he has an angle to hang in the conversation. Like, he could hit SAG but miss Golden Globes. Like, something like that, where, like, he's, like, very on the fringe and just musters his way into Best Actor. And speaking of a love actor, number five, and this may be to a surprise to some, but not to a surprise to everyone on this channel, I still have Matt Damon in for air at my fifth slot. He's staying at my number five slot all year until we get into some of the main awards bodies. Matt Damon staying at five. He's not going any higher. He's not going any lower. He stays here until Golden Globes. Golden Globes happen. He either goes up or he goes down. Even though there's people below him, I think are more likely. I'm sticking with his air, his best picture, screenplay, actor, and maybe something else from there. I took him out of my top five. I've also dropped out of my picture because I think that there's other early contenders that are going to hold more passion. And I just don't see it being like a, a resurgence type contender when it's only really competitive in three different categories i can still i Mm -hmm. still have it in for screenplay though i will say it could go back in we'll see we'll see 
It could be Elvis. It just doesn't have the crafts that Elvis did. And speaking of Elvis, musical biopics, lead actor, Kingsley Benadir, Bob Marley, One Love uh, is at number six. I uh, was a uh, lot higher on him back when we did our first predictions back in, what was it, like March, January, whatever one was the first time I talked about actor. I had him super high. I had him at like number three, but he, he's dropping for me. It's just because I don't know anything about this movie yeah it could come out in time maybe it doesn't and i got burned on i want to dance with somebody last year yeah. not trying to do that again uh kingsley bandier is a lot more beloved and respected however still this is a paramount biopic that uh we don't know much of anything about i feel like if the movie's solid to the level of like an elvis or the whale he probably gets in but if the movie's not solid in that way he's gonna be left out speaking of the i would say the most glaring omission in my top five and that's just because i have this movie kind of underperforming for not really reasons dealing with the movie itself that is the holdovers and i have paul giamatti at number seven i don't think he's gonna be bad i don't think this movie's gonna be bad i just feel like this movie's gonna get a lot of uh buzz that's not in the good way around it once it does come out that could be completely hypothetical. I know last year we said that could happen with Babylon and Brad Pitt and some other stuff and it never really happened. I feel like the holdovers could, not, maybe not to the level of an Amsterdam, but like get hit with something along those lines and maybe Giamatti's safe from that because he's not the issue there, but I think the whole movie could be tanked with that as well. The Alexander Payne controversy is going to be much more of a Brad Pitt situation where Brad Pitt was still mm -hmm. getting nominations. It's not Amsterdam. Oh. Amsterdam tanked not just because of David O. Russell, it tanked because people didn't like the movie. And if people like the holdovers, it will not matter what Alexander Payne has done. Rounding out my top 10, I'll kind of speed through these because I don't think they're as likely. At number eight, I have Uteo for Past Lives. I have Christian Freidel for The Zone of Interest and Andrew Scott for The Strangers rounding out my top 10. And just on the outside, Adam Driver for Ferrari. We've heard nothing with this movie. It's probably not good, but hey, it's Adam Driver and people do like him, but I don't think enough to get into an Oscar nomination. I mean, we have heard Adam Driver doing his awful Italian accent in House of Gucci. That inspires zero confidence from me. I feel good about this lineup more so than another acting category. Matt, do you have anyone else I didn't mention here in, I guess, my top 11? Hey, I'll, I'll give you some some possibilities as well. Barry Keoghan in Saltburn, I think a lot of people would have in their top five. I personally have him floating just on the outside because I don't see Saltburn actually being a contender. But yep. I think Barry Keoghan still has the might to get into the Oscar conversation, even if it's just a BAFTA nomination, even if it's just a Golden Globe nomination, he's going to get some nominations. Like, that's it's going to happen no matter what, especially because apparently he's really good in this movie, which I don't doubt because Barry Keoghan is awesome. Then Anthony Hopkins in Freud's Last Session. I haven't heard great things about the source material of Freud's Last Session, but... It's Anthony Hopkins. He's another one that I could see getting um, a, a Golden Globe nomination or a BAFTA nomination. Then, worth mentioning, Double Bill, Michael Fassbender, Next Goal Wins, The Killer, even more so than Maestro. I think The Killer could end up being the movie that Netflix wants to get in. It might not actually get in. Same with Next Goal Wins. We're talking a lot about how we don't know what Searchlight's doing. Maybe Next Goal Wins is just it. Uh, we're both resisting that a little bit, but maybe that's just the correct answer right here. Paul Dano in Dumb Money. It's possibly supporting. It's possibly his lead. I don't know. It's also possible the movie's a piece of shit. So who knows? I think they all have issues. That's why they're not in the top 10. I would say Fassbender and The Killer's probably the most likely one. This movie could be a lot bigger than we're all projecting for at the moment. Next goal wins. I just think like we talked about last episode, this movie's going to be hit with like the Bardo. We just don't like Taika anymore. So movie bad, even if movie isn't 
that bad. Yeah, I I mean, I can see that. People are ragging on Taika Waititi right now. I could see uh, that movie getting the greatest beer run ever treatment. <laughs> well, at once upon a time last year, I can recall some people out there, not saying either of us, but some people out there had Russell Crowe in their best supporting 10 for greatest beer run ever. So why don't we go over our best supporting wow. actor predictions here in June of 2023. And this is Ooh, with baby. you. So who is that number one? Okay. Um, I'm going to take a wild shot here, just a, a wild card. I think I'm actually going to insert a video in a little bit when I've seen past lives to confirm whether or not John Magaro is still Magaro, Magaro, I don't know. Magaro sounds like it has like weird implications. I'm not going to call him John Magaro. Uh, so <laughs> Magaro past lives is my, uh, my number one right now. Okay. It feels to me like Troy Kotzer, like Kiwi Kwan, putting him here. I'll, again, a video will come up of me saying if he is actually number one or not. But at the moment, I have him at number one because I can't see Robert De Niro winning, and I can't see Charles Melton winning, and I can't see anyone else winning. So John Magaro just feels better. Why not? I'll just Why I'll not? do it for now. Um, at number two and three, I've already mentioned Robert De Niro, Charles Melton, Killers of the Flower Moon, May, December. These are both performances that I think are going to get a lot of critic love, but they might not have the heart to them to win the category. Robert De Niro is a legend, but is that enough to win him another Oscar? He couldn't even get nominated for The Irishman. This seems like it's a better performance than The Irishman, but I just don't see it winning. And Charles Melton is apparently a little bit too subdued in this role. He seems to not be the focus. Like a lot of people walk out of that movie saying, Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, Oh, and Charles Melton. I see him getting nominated, but I think that he has some hurdles to overcome if he's going to win, which is why that leaves John Magaro at Past Lives. Cue the video about whether or not I actually think he's winning. Okay, I have now seen Past Lives, and I don't think John Magaro is going to win. You see it reflected in the graphic on screen. I have him at number three right now. The performance is very subdued. He's not really the central part of the movie. Uh, he has so, so much less to do than Greta Lee and Yu Teo. Actually, I would say I think that if they campaign Yu Teo in supporting instead of lead, because they could fraud him into supporting, I would say that he's win competitive, but John Magaro just definitely is not. He doesn't have enough material outside of like one really, really great scene. I don't think that this is a winning performance. So for now, I guess I'm going back to Robert De Niro, but I don't know about that. I'm going to be looking for another option all year long. I mean, I think you make great points there. As we've mentioned numerous times about these videos, they're all subjective and they all are not in a vacuum. Like It's with what all your other categories are. So like, I don't think Killers are winning much above the line and May December may not be the biggest thing to set the world on fire. I still do have De Niro at my number one. Killers can't win every acting category. It's gonna have to fall off one way. And is it gonna fall off here? Is it gonna fall off in supporting actress? I just feel like it's gonna win one of those. I feel like one of the other categories is more likely. I have De Niro at one for the moment. I also have not seen Past Lives yet. So who knows, maybe once I see it, you know, A24 put this movie out in more than three cities at one time. I can move him up to number one as well but i have the same top three as you those 
can reviews for uh, May, December have Melton right back up. At number four, I have Coleman Domingo in the color purple. I don't have him in my top five for Rustin, but I do have him here. Interestingly, this is not the role that got nominated on Broadway. He plays Mr. in, in the movie The Color Purple. Meanwhile, Harpo, who played by Corey Hawkins, that was the role that got nominated on Broadway, but I watched the play. Harpo's not in it much. Mr.'s in it a lot more, and Coleman Domingo has a much bigger profile than Corey Hawkins does, which is why I've got him in my top five here. I think it's a great role. It's got some great songs. I could see him having a lot of great scenes alongside Fantasia Barino that could bring him along into the top five. Then at number five, wrapping it up, I have Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things. This is where I think doing the most might really benefit. As we're seeing in the performance, Mark Ruffalo is like screaming at the top of his lungs. He's just like chewing the scenery. It looks like a crazy performance. So that's my top five. I am warming up to Domingo in color purple instead of Rustin. I also feel like a poor things guy is getting in here for supporting actor, but I don't really know. That newest trailer doesn't really point that Ruffalo's in the movie a lot. So it's something that we'll have to see when the movie comes out, which isn't that far away. So interestingly, in the source material, Mark Ruffalo's character is actually not in it a lot. He's okay. in two chapters of of the of the book but it looks like the majority of the movie is those two chapters so at number six i have willem dafoe i think he looks like he's doing a lot too the academy loves willem dafoe they gave him a nomination for at eternity's gate when it was just a tiny movie that got basically nothing else the entire season they're like here you go here you go willem dafoe but they couldn't do it for the lighthouse anyways i think willem dafoe or mike mark ruffalo will be in here one of the two i just think mark ruffalo looks like he's doing a little bit more whereas willem mm -hmm. dafoe looks like he's being willem dafoe but with some crazy makeup number seven i know a lot of people are going to be saying ryan gosling should be in your top five he could be in there for barbie i'm going to entertain the idea i think that ryan gosling totally could be in the top five. I just don't have him in because I don't think Barbie's gonna be a big contender. And also like the last time someone doing such a comedic role, such a goofy role got nominated in Best Supporting Actor was in 2008 with Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder. Uh, that's the last time a goofy, dumb performance like Ryan Gosling and Barbie got in. I can't base things off of like, oh, well the last time this happened was because like, then things like Everything Ever All at Once happen, where yeah. it's never happened before. So the reason I don't have him in is because I don't think the movie is going to be a big deal. If it is a big deal, you can put Ryan Gosling in. Eight, Corey Hawkins, The Color Purple. I've already said I, I don't see the role being huge, but the movie I think will be huge. And the role got a nomination on Broadway, so cool. Then I've got a hope diction here. I so desperately hope the internet and other celebrities can Andrea Riceborough, Glenn Howerton, and Blackberry into some nominations. It doesn't matter if it's an Oscar nomination. Give me a Critics' Choice nomination. Give me some Critics' Groups. Give me an Indie Spirit nomination. Just give Glenn Howerton something. A Golden Globe nomination, perhaps? I don't know. Uh, Glenn Howerton is so good in this movie. Dylan, you haven't seen Blackberry yet. Whenever you see Blackberry, you're gonna agree with me. Glenn Howerton is the supporting actor of the year. In a okay. just world, I would be able to put him in my top five, but I can't because Blackberry is a tiny Canadian movie that no one in the States has gone to see. It's like made a million bucks at the box office, which is good for a Canadian movie, but it's not good for an Oscar contender. And finally, that. number 10, Jesse Plemons, Killers of the Flower Moon. No buzz around this performance. Gone are the days where we said that Killers was going to get two supporting actors in the top five. They said the same thing about Power of the Dog, and he pulled it out. 
Am I predicting that? No. But you are how right. they all came yeah. out, no one no one talked about Jesse Plemons and then boom, BAFTA. Boom, Oscar nomination out of nowhere. So uh small chance. I think keeping him in your ten is good, but top yeah, five, yeah, yeah. no. He's a low contender, but it like he's gonna stick around while other performances might drop. You know, the the poor things guys, they could drop down. Color purple guys, they could drop down. Barbie could drop way down. Killers of the Flower Moon, Jesse Plemons is gonna stay there all year long. And he mm-hmm. could he's gonna make his way higher, I think. Some other little names I would mention. I mean, you have two poor things guys, why not throw the third up there? Maybe not top ten, but around that area of Rami Youssef. I mean, there's some other random names you could throw out there. I'm sure you have some here. Oh yeah, I I'll throw out a few random names. Mike Faced in Challengers has some juicy, juicy, juicy scenes. I've read the script of that. I wasn't a huge fan of the script, I'm going to be honest. Josh O'Connor is the lead, I would say. Mike Faced is a large supporting role, and Zendaya is a large supporting role. Could be frauded into lead, but probably a supporting role. Mike Faced is going to do an amazing job. Also worth mentioning, Glenn Turman in Rustin, if Rustin ends up being a thing. Coleman Domingo gets in. Maybe Glenn Turman is a possibility. Austin Butler, Dune Part 2. He looks like he's doing a crazy, crazy roll chewing the scenery. It's possible right there. And I'll leave it at that for now. So that brings us over to Best Supporting Actress, which is with me this month. And I'm kind of going to blow through this category because I think it's the easiest of the five. That doesn't mean Best Supporting Actress isn't an important category. Not at all. It just means, you know, we're in June and one of the categories has to look somewhat normal. And it's this one. Lily Gladstone, number one. We've heard she's great. Killers of Flower Moon. Probably going to win something above the line. This looks like it could be it. That lone supporting actress saying, I know it didn't happen last year, but it happens a lot of the time. Then we have both Color Purple Ladies with Danielle Brooks, Taraji P. Henson. I think they're neck and neck. They're probably going to be like the favorite ladies from a few years ago where if only one of them was here, they would easily win. But they're both here. They both can't win and therefore neither of them win. And then Julianne Moore made Simbers at number four, like Matt mentioned, and lead actress. Maybe someone in this movie could fall off. I'm not predicting at the moment, but if it was to be someone, I would say it's her, and that would be for one of these next three people in line. I have Viola Davis in air at number five. As I mentioned, I have this in picture, I have it in actor, I have it in screenplay, and I also have it in supporting actress. That's its package for me, but if you don't have this in picture, I get a Viola Davis is not even in your 10. I didn't think she was really one of the bigger standouts in the movie, but I get why people really loved her performance. And then at number six, I have Divine Joy Randolph for the holdovers. Maybe she should be in my top five. However, like I mentioned, I think the holdovers will kind of have a little bit of a cold reception, but I definitely can see the angle. I like her a lot as an actress. I don't I can't think of a performance where she's been bad, even if the movie's not very good. I guess some other quick shout-outs would be Lashana Lynch and Bob Marley, One Love. The director to King Richard, he got a lead actor and a supporting actress nomination. Not saying that's gonna happen with all his movies. I mean good Joe Bell, but maybe he does it again here. Probably not. And then I have Jodie Foster for Nyad if it is a bigger player like Matt was saying in previous months, and if it does get into actress, cinematography a screenplay comes along this is one of netflix's bigger push maybe jodie foster can find her way and rounding out clara foy strangers tilda swinton the killer not much faith in these but hey i gotta have a 10 i i would say i don't have any faith in the bob marley biopic so mm-hmm. uh, lashana lynch i don't have there i don't know anything about jodie foster nyad but i mean i'm high on it in other categories some other ones to mention here carrie mulligan in maestro i know some people See, would have her in best actress I That's think I she's going to be in Supporting Actress. I, I don't think it makes any sense to put her in Best Actress because it's a Leonard Bernstein biopic. I don't know. I, I think that she should be at least in the top 10 for Supporting Actress, even if she possibly could be in Best Actress. Also, Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan does not write women very well. 
but hey, it's worth mentioning. And Zendaya in Challengers. A lot of people would have her in lead. After reading the script, I think she is distinctly a supporting role. Everything I've seen with people talking about the movie have said starring Zendaya and then supporting Mike Faced and... They're saying that for marketing purposes. Yeah, because, like, yeah. The, the movie is about a love triangle between Josh O'Connor, Mike Faced, Josh and Zendaya. O'Connor, okay. um, but Josh O'Connor is like the main character. Yeah. Unless you call all three of them leads... You could call all three of them leads, but if we're picking one lead, it's Josh O'Connor, not Zendaya. If we're moving those two into supporting, they probably knock out Clara Foy and Jodie Foster. I would still keep Tilda at number 10 just because Fincher, even if his movies aren't Best Picture players, they still find a way into an action. Mulligan is in my top 10 for lead actors at the moment. I think Zendaya's just out. Maybe she's at my number 10. I'm not sure. That's a weird category. But yeah, Best Supporting Actress, I feel good about my top six. It's just, which one do you have out at the moment? I have Randolph out, but... Makes total sense if you have Davis or more on the outside. But yeah, that brings us to the end of these acting predictions for the month of June. These are our post-can predictions. How good are you feeling about your predictions right now? Which categories <laughs> do you feel best about? Which ones do you feel worst about here? Because personally, I'd say I feel really good about supporting actress, really good about actress. I feel awful about actor and supporting actor my supporting actress five like i just mentioned i feel great about uh my lead actress winner fantasia makes sense but also if everyone's saying her is it really gonna happen i that usually doesn't happen and yeah the the two acting uh the male acting categories of best actor and best supporting actor are complete question marks for me at the moment yeah i feel better about best actor than i do about best supporting actor supporting actor i'm like oh we're gonna be wrong about all of this isn't that fun isn't that why the oscar race is so fun because we get to be wrong all year long and then pretend exactly. we're smart because we were right at the last minute that's why we start these up in january february march is that way we have a whole year to build up our pile and pile and pile of else today we get to talk about something that is very near and dear for both matt and i this is one of our most anticipated movies of the year that is poor things this trailer it looks great oh my god dylan this looks like it's gonna be my favorite movie of the year this looks like an automatic contender for my top 50 of all time like Ooh. holy shit this is giving me favorite movie energy i'm gonna favorite, be an obnoxious favorite? person when this movie comes out i get why people don't like yorgos lanthimos but i surely do i mean the favorite was my favorite movie of that year the lobster was one of my favorites of that year killing of the sacred deer has its issues but i still really like it and i'm sure poor things will be at minimum like a top 10 movie for this year unless oh, yeah. something just completely goes off the rails i love the lobster i love the killing of a sacred deer partly because they're so beige looking they're so bland to look at it's just white walls but i feel like it's so fitting to give him like a crazy wild wonderful world full of beautiful bright saturated colors dear god man this looks incredible it reminds me a lot of and i said this last time we talked about poor things it reminds me a ton of the jean-pierre jeanette and marc carreau films from the 1990s like the city of lost children delicatessen gives me those vibes which is why i'm like oh fuck yeah oh my god just give it to me now mainline it into my fucking veins dude and that's outside of oscars 
It's yeah. no Oscar talk there. Yeah, outside of Oscars, I can't wait for this. I mean, this isn't going to set the box office on fire, but I could no. see an angle where this puts up a really good like opening limited release weekend and those per theater averages could be through the roof. But obviously, like most Yorgos movies, they're not going to make uh, those big bucks. But you know what Yorgos did do with his last movie? He got himself a lot of Oscar nominations. In fact, I think it led that year in terms of Oscar nominations. So let's dive into category by category what poor things could do at this upcoming Oscars, starting off with the big two, best director, best picture, at this moment, I have it in for picture, but I do not have it in for director. What about you? I should come into this with tempered expectations because I am so hyped for this and maybe I should kind of divorce myself from my own hype and say, hmm, it's got a September release date. Hmm, it looks really weird. And I have said that in the past, but I just have to predict this. I do. So I have it in picture. I don't have it in director because I don't think it has a shot at being top five in best picture. I think mm -hmm. it's going to be too weird. I think the critical response might be a little bit mixed, but I think there's going to be a lot of passion around the people that do like it. But I don't expect this to be like a universally beloved thing like the favorite. It looks too weird to be universally loved, but I do still think it's getting in best picture. And if it doesn't get in best picture, I think it's like Babylon. It'll be like number 11, number 12, right on the outside where right until Oscar morning, we think, could it happen? And then maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. So I do have it in right now, but I can totally see a world where it flops. I would say sight unseen, even if this does make best picture, it's probably would be one of those movies that's like borderline in a year of 10, like where it's like yeah. seven, eight, nine, but we're in a year of 10. Search like they always get something in next goal wins. Doesn't look like it. Strangers, you said that you've read a little bit. It doesn't really seem like an Oscar things, but you know what could be Yorgos Lanthimos. I know he doesn't hit it every time, but hey, Lobster got a screenplay. Favorite got 10 nominations. So let's see what yeah. poor things can get. We both said picture, no director, but now that brings us to best actress. And Stone. I once upon a time said she was going to win. I don't feel that anymore. I'm kind of in between. Should be in my top five or is she right at number six? For me, she's outside of my top five because like you were just saying, it's probably going to be one of the lower tier best picture contenders. If this was like a top tier best picture contender, she's in. It's possible that people see this performance and think she's swinging way too big with it. Some people are going to be annoyed by her performance in this. Just by the virtue of her playing a child in an adult's body, some people are going to see this performance and go, holy shit, I want to strangle her. That's just going to be people's reaction. Is that going to mean she did a great goddamn job with it? Yes. Was I mm -hmm. cackling in the trailer when she smacked the guy in the face? Like, she just perfectly captures the essence of, like, a child, but she is a fully grown woman. So funny. But yeah, I think that it's going to be a polarizing performance. Even if the movie is really loved, some people are going to say, ooh, Emma Stone was doing too much there. And others are going to say she was doing just the right amount. Using just some comparisons from last year, I feel like her floor is Margot Robbie and Babylon where she hits some stuff but she misses yeah. at the end of the day and her ceiling could be like an Ana de Armas and Blonde where she still gets her way into actress even if this movie does miss picture it's somewhere in between there at minimum I feel like she's got comedy Golden Globe nomination in the bag. Now let's talk supporting actor because we've got three supporting actor contenders in here. We have Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, and Rami Youssef. Now I'm just going to speak from the experience of I've read the book. I can tell you who these characters are so that y'all can make an educated decision on who, if anyone, you want to put in supporting actor. So the main character of the book is Rami Youssef. He is the POV character. He is the narrator of the book. And in that way, I think he's going 
going to be a smaller character in the movie because he is not the character that does the most. He just is the one who's there the entire time. For me, that's a kind of role like Ben Wishaw in Women Talking, where it's an interesting role in the book, but on screen might not be as interesting as some of the others mm -hmm. who are doing a lot more. For example, Willem Dafoe, he's also there for the entire book. He plays Godwin Baxter, the scientist who creates Bella. It looks like he's doing a lot. He's got a lot of makeup on his face. That could really help his case. With this performance, again, it's a role where I don't know how much he's going to be doing, how big the role is going to be. It might be a little bit more subdued, even though he's there a lot. I don't know if it's going to be a dynamic role in the way that Mark Ruffalo's will be. Mark Ruffalo plays Duncan Wedderburn in this. Duncan Wedderburn is a character that's only in the book for a couple of chapters. In the scope of, like, the, the timeline of the book, those two chapters are the majority of it. And since it looks like we're going to be following Emma Stone's character, Bella, on her journeys, it looks like a lot of the movie is going to be her time that she spends with Mark Ruffalo, while in the book that's a very short amount time. Mark Ruffalo just looks like he's doing a lot here. His voice that he's put on is hilarious. He's doing an homage to Streetcar Named Desire by yelling, Bella! And of course there's the, the exaggerated, ow! So good. Uh, I think he just looks like he's doing a lot with this. And his arc in the book is absolute lunacy. I won't spoil it at all because if you haven't read the book, you should do that. Uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, which none of us have, I don't know what's going to be implemented, but his arc in the book is phenomenally hilarious. Where his character starts and ends because of Bella Baxter is ridiculous. I think he's going to be a riot that uh, he's going to be a scene stealer in this movie. So Mark Ruffalo is my supporting prediction and I do have him in my top five. So you mentioned that this is based on a book. So that brings us to the adapted screenplay category where, you know, that's kind of the tougher category this year. We have a lot of big hitters yeah. here. And at the moment, I do have poor things in my five. I feel like because it's based on such a, you know, out there type of book, it's going to be kind of hard to adapt it. So if they're able to pull it off, that's some more brownie points that you can, you know, fight its way in there to number five, number four, and who knows, maybe it can pick up like a BAFTA or something and then could possibly contend for that number one spot once we get to Oscar night. Oh yeah, and I mean, the screenplay here is written by Tony McNamara, who also wrote The Favorite and is the showrunner for The Great, which is a very acclaimed show with Elle Fanning. And he did Cruella and is going to be doing Cruella too. Now, The Favorite is his one nomination there, but I think having Tony McNamara behind this, reuniting with Emma Stone and reuniting with Yorgos Lanthimos, I think we know that their styles work really well together. Plus, like, like you said, it's a very out there script. It's going to be a very wild story. And in the writing categories, a lot of the time, it feels like they tend to gravitate towards originality specifically an original screenplay, less than adapted, but I don't think originality hurts at all when it comes to this category because this is a very creative, very different, very unique take on this type of Victorian story. The screenplay is going to be great, so yes, I also have it in my top five. Then we have the design elements. Let's start with cinematography. Oh god, oh my lord, gorgeous, gorgeous cinematography. The thing that I'm wondering, is this going to get nominated for everything that it could get nominated for? And if not, cinematography feels a little bit weaker there because I do have a feeling that the gorgeousness of the design is going to be credited more to the production design and the costume design than it is to the cinematography. I don't know. I think this could be one of the shocking omissions on Oscar nomination morning where cinematography doesn't happen for this movie, even though people love the cinematography of this. So I'm going to say it's not in my top five, but it's 
almost there. Yeah, I think I have that number five for me at the moment, but it's the one where if I had to push something out, obviously that's the one to go. I know the favorite got in, but the favorite had a lot of natural lighting from whether it was candles or yeah. the windows, and it doesn't seem like this one's doing that as much. I mean, there are some black and white shots, which we know the Academy loves <laughs> those, but also the favorite also had the use of like some wide angle lenses. I know there's some interesting lens use in this trailer. It just mm -hmm. isn't be as full force as like the almost constant use of a wide angle and the favorite i'm kind of leaning on i want to push this out but at the moment i want to see clips from some other stuff the favorite also got nominations in production design and costume design where i think poor things at minimum will probably get these two as well as one other category that's if this movie is just like is not an above the line type player i feel like a minimum it's getting some text the production design and costume design here is gorgeous this should win production design just from the trailer just the trailer alone Give it an Oscar right there. The only thing is like, it might be too weird for that. People might be, uh, it might not be a win contender because people might be a little bit put off. But if it could be a win contender, if people aren't put off by how weird the production design is, this wins. This wins, mm -hmm. but I, I'm not confident enough to uh, have it as a winner yet, but I will say I have it for both production design and costume design. I don't think it can win costume design, but I do think it's a very strong nominee for that category. The one category where I feel like this has the best shot to win, at least at this moment, is makeup and hairstyling, especially that work that's done with Willem Dafoe. I'm sure there'll be some other stuff throughout the movie. I know I have Dune Part 2 as my winner at the moment, but Poor Things isn't across-the-board type player. They may want to give it at least one award. This seems like the most likely on paper, at least to me. Well, the thing with the makeup and hair is that, for the most part, it's just going to be Willem Dafoe's face. He's the only one that's going to be like a crazy creation, at least from mm -hmm. the way that I read the book. But there are going to be brain surgery scenes in this movie. Like, very graphic brain surgery scenes. We know this is rated R for graphic brain like gore so we're going to see brains in this movie and that could be a great angle for best makeup and hair it could also be a great angle for this movie being very very divisive because people don't want to see brains on screen people don't like that in their movies so um i i think makeup and hair is possible but i don't know if i could see it being a win contender visual effects let's talk about this i never thought that i would have said poor things for visual effects i'm not going to put it in my top five I think it's worth considering for a shortlist, potentially, or just considering. There's flying cars in this, which it's set in Victorian Scotland. Why are there flying cars? There's all these bright visuals. It looks like there's a lot of, like, magic on screen. Maybe this is a visual effects contender. I don't know if I'll put it in my 10, but if it makes that shortlist, it's something I would definitely keep an eye out for. Let's talk about some categories that are very hard to tell about at the moment. Score, sound, and editing. We don't know anything about those from the trailer. I mean, we know a little bit from the score. It's kind of like they're using children's instruments to kind of build this score. That's kind of interesting. It's kind of a neat angle, but... I think some people might find the score to be annoying. What I heard in the trailer, if that's the score, I would not put it in my top five for best score. I really like the score that's been in both this trailer and the teaser trailer. I think it sounds very infectious. It's going to be something that's like 
drilled into your head. Sound and editing, I'm gonna say sound is an absolute no. Editing is a maybe, but only if it's like a top five best picture contender. The way I that agree. The, the way that the favorite made it in. So I, I'm gonna say no for sound and editing. So that means that I have it in all the categories that you see below, and Dylan has it in all the categories that you see below. So let us know who you think is more correct here. As we always do, we can't always be positive. We have to look on the negative side a little bit. So how could poor things fail? I mean, we've talked about a lot, not just in this episode, but all season long. This movie is going to be weird. It's going to be out there. I mean, we just had everything everywhere win Best Picture, but not everything can be everything everywhere. September release date does not look great. The last Best Picture nominee to get in was Moneyball, and that was over 10 years ago. That's a long time. I know Searchlight doesn't have a lot on their plate. They had to get something in. We saw that with Nightmare Alley a few years ago, which was another kind of weird movie, but not as weird as this one. When we talk about weird movies, I think the distinction we need to make is between wholesome weird and alienating weird. That's a big, big difference. Everything Everywhere All at Once was weird, but it was not alienating. It was a very inviting film. It made people embrace the weirdness, laugh at the weirdness, enjoy the weirdness, because it made them feel. Deep down, that's what the movie was. That's why it won. It made people feel. Movies like Poor Things, this is closer to Bo is Afraid. This is a movie that's going to make you feel really uncomfortable. It might make you feel wonderful, but at the same time, it might alienate you purposefully. And if that's the case, then some people might just react negatively in general to the aesthetic, to the tone, to the content being uh, the brain of a child having like a sexual odyssey. That's basically what Poor Things is. That's how I'd describe it. So people might react very negatively to this. And like you said, the September release, I have faith in Searchlight. I don't see anything else that they have being a large contender. But uh, I mean, a September release is not a good look. This is going to open during TIFF. The industry is going to be talking about other films in this movie's first week in theaters. That's not good. You know, when you release a movie, you want it to dominate the news cycle so that people are like, wow, Poor Things is great. But you know what's going to be trending on Twitter when Poor Things releases? Whatever just premiered at TIFF. The holdovers. Mm -hmm. The color purple fucking next goal wins probably people are going to be talking about those on twitter poor things might get shoved to the side on the other hand releasing in september means that they're going to have carved out a window for themselves where they'll be able to say no one else is releasing around here we have a full month till the next best picture nominee comes out let's talk about poor things for a little bit right now maybe that's the angle here i don't know i hope searchlight can do it so let's talk ceiling and floor here for a ceiling here i think we have a 10 nomination ceiling it's not going to get all of those i'd say it's more likely to get five or six the floor this could be completely blanked but i i'd like to believe that at the very least it'll get costumes production design and makeup but there is a universe where this gets absolutely nothing at all. Right now, I'm probably in that four to six range. I don't know how much higher I can go there, but I can definitely see the angle to drop a little bit. That brings us to the end of our trailer discussion. Poor things talk right here. Are you guys as excited for poor things as we are? I cannot contain my enthusiasm for this movie. I will be there. Actually, I won't be there day one because it's releasing during TIFF. That sucks. Womp womp. That sucks man uh well you'll see it before me and i'll be a little jealous maybe i'll, I'll take a detour during tiff to go see it 
Probably not. Let's not waste any time. Let's dive into Transformers Rise of the Beast. We really didn't expect to be talking about this movie this week, but hey, it's another week and we really needed to talk about some movie. The other movie that came out this week, Past Lives, hasn't opened near Dylan, so we're here stuck talking about Transformers. I'm as surprised as you are. I don't know about you, Dylan. I'm not a fan of this series. I've actively avoided watching like half of them. I watched the first three. I watched Bumblebee. The only one that I've liked is the original one. Look, I, like, I don't even hate Michael Bay, but I just think his Transformers movies are, like, soulless cash grabs. Like I said, the first one is, is very solid, but the other ones that I've seen from him are, like, some of the worst blockbusters that I've ever seen. I didn't like Bumblebee either, even though I know a lot of people said that's the best one in the series. So I really wasn't planning to see Rise of the Beasts ever, but after watching it, honestly, it, it wasn't good. But it wasn't that bad. You know, I had a surprisingly good time. I have never liked these movies. Even as a kid, I thought they were dumb and stupid. And that holds as an adult, too. I never even yeah. saw Bumblebee. That's how low I was on this franchise. Even though people are like, oh, this one's good. I'm like, I don't really want to go watch this one. There's better things out right now to watch. We've dug on it a little bit so far about this movie, but it actually wasn't that bad. I mean, we didn't talk Fast X here on the show, but essentially everything this movie is, is what I wanted Fast X to be. And Fast X was everything I thought this movie was going to be. Well, the reason I gave Bumblebee a shot was because the director of that was Travis Knight, and Travis Knight did Kubo and the Two Strings. And the director of Transformers Rise of the Beasts was Stephen Capel Jr., who did Creed 2. And you can kind of see how those two movies, I don't love Creed 2 either, but it's still a pretty good movie. I think you can see a huge improvement from Michael Bay's like shaky cam nonsense. Some of the fight scenes were really, really solid. They were coherent, clear, fun, often really creative. And I thought that the performances from Anthony Ramos and Pete Davidson, shockingly, were a lot of fun to watch slash listen to. They both really fit the roles well. Pete Davidson brought a lot of really great humor to the movie. There were some moments in this that just had me like, oh yeah, this is what I want out of like a silly, stupid action movie. Like the moment where Mirage becomes an Iron Man suit for Anthony Ramos. Oh my god, I was hyped up for that. It was so stupid, but so fun and creative, and it delivered what I wanted out of that moment. And I guess, like, I gotta say, I thought that the sound effects were pretty goddamn great. This series is a three-time Oscar nominee in the sound category, and that holds up here. Is it going to be nominated this time? No, but the sound was really, really good. Very strong sound work. Pete Davidson, I mean, I'm probably one of the biggest Pete Davidson haters, but hey, he was good in this role. And I really like Dominique Fishback as well. She brought something very different that I haven't really seen from her. I also am a sucker for um, monkeys, and if you give me a robot monkey, then yeah, I, I'm I'm down for that. Um, there's a yeah. lot of issues here, but like I was mentioning before, Fast X is a movie I went a lot of dumb fun with. And I got that with this movie like if you think hard about it yeah this doesn't make sense that doesn't make sense this is stupid that is stupid but it was enjoyable for like the two hours i was watching this movie need to be two hours probably not but i'm not really complaining that i saw this movie either it's stupid 
it's fun, but it gives you what you expect. If you are a Transformers fan, there's a lot to love here. And if you're not a Transformers fan, there's plenty to pick on because it's still a Transformers movie. It's like totally nonsense from the start. This series is just like needlessly convoluted. You gotta take hints from like Pacific Rim, make it simple, direct. The audience doesn't want to hear about like destroying planets and having to get the world key and do all the like it's so convoluted. If you're making a movie about robots fighting robots just make the robots fight robots like Pacific Rim. The premise of that is robots fight giant monsters and what do you get? Robots fight giant monsters. There's no sci-fi jargon. It's just robots fighting monsters. You get what you want. That's it. And I think Transformers always tries to like be deeper than that, but it's not. It's just stupid and silly and nonsense. The emotional core here is just weak. No matter how hard they try, like everything with the humans just makes me feel like I'm waiting for the robots to come back. See, normally I would agree with you. Like that's what I've always been saying. It's like, oh, just make these movies the actual robots fighting. But I I did find myself actually liking the humans here more than the robots. And I also, I mean, this isn't really a highlight. This is just one of the jokes that kind of did work from Pete Davidson was the one about Marky Mark becoming an actor now. <laughs> and I thought the whole movie is like, oh, Transformers, he's going to pop up somehow. It's just be like a de-age Mark Wahlberg or something. That didn't happen. But um, overall, yeah, I mean, like there's comedy here, like all comedy movies. It's not always going to hit. And that would be a big negative for this movie. Sometimes the comedy is overtly cringe. But my biggest flaw with this movie would be the pacing. At times, like, the human stuff works. At times, the robot stuff works. But then they try to mix them, and they don't really work. And like I mentioned before, it's like a 210 movie that feels like it should be 90 to 100 minutes. And I get you gotta have bad guys, but the bad guys weren't really interesting. My last, last negative here would be a lot of the voice acting here that wasn't from Pete Davidson. I thought was really, really bad. Okay, let's, if we're talking about stupidity, we have to talk about the ending. Okay. So yeah, for, final, for final spoiler tag. Final spoiler tag, but uh, anyone who's not planning on seeing the movie, who's here and just wants to know about it, I'm going to give you the context. And anyone who did see the movie and wants a refresher, this is the context of the final scene. So the entire movie, Anthony Ramos, his character, has been trying to get a job. And so in the post-credits scene... <laughs> Uh, and I say post-credits because it's like literally 10 seconds into the credits, they cut back to the scene. He's at a job interview, and then the interviewer says, Oh, well, I know all about you, I know all about all of your friends, and actually, I'm from a secret government organization. We fight the darkness, and we need you and your friends on our side. And he hands him a business card, and it says G.I. Joe on it. And yes. I... I screamed at that point, but not like a fanboy scream, just a genuine shock and like not knowing what to do in that moment because it was the stupidest thing I think I've ever seen in a movie. Here's what? the thing, though. Here's the thing. They could pull it off. If they do it right. They could pull it off because if they take the positives from this movie and double <laughs> down on it and make it even stupider, but into like a comedic stupider, not like a a Bayhem stupider. Yeah. And you really lean into it and you bring in more likable actors to play the G.I. Joes. Like make it like a hodgepodge, like a uh, ensemble type, just comedy, just where it's like so stupid, but it just works for you. Honestly, I think a G.I. Joe Transformers mashup movie might be the stupidest thing that I've ever heard of, and I would see it. I yes. would see it just on sheer like, what the fuck? Do we think they're actually going to follow through 
with this idea for the stupidest movie of all time, G.I. Joe Transformers. Movie studios are dumb right now. They're doing a lot of dumb stuff post-COVID. We've had a lot of 200, 250, apparently a 340 budget for Fast X, you know? Just, just throw money and eventually something will come back and give it all back to you. But now let's talk about Oscars. <laughs> I know. We talked about them for Jurassic World Dominion, so we can talk about them. It's like a year ago. It's, it's a whole full circle moment. I think on that episode we said maybe a short list for Jurassic World, and I think it did make the short list, right? Okay, so it we're did. one for one with these type of movies. So, Matt, what is your, you know, big, bold prediction here? Okay, before predictions, let's just drop some facts about the other movies in the series. So the first film got three Oscar nominations. It got two sound nominations and VFX. It won the Visual Effects Society Award and was nominated at both the major sound guilds, being the MPSE and the CAS. So then the second film, Revenge of the Fallen, which got horrible reviews, still got a sound mixing nomination, a visual effects society nomination in the main category. It was nominated by both sound guilds again, and it got a Screen Actors Guild stunt ensemble nomination. Third film, Dark Side of the Moon, that one also got three nominations at the Oscars, both sound and visual effects. It also got a Visual Effects Society nomination in the main category, got those same two Sound Guild main nominations, and again, SAG stunt ensemble. The fourth film, Age of Extinction, the one with the dinosaurs, the first Marky Mark movie, oh, uh, yeah. it only got nominated for like smaller awards it didn't get the oscars it got the visual effects society but not in the main category then the fifth film last night it got one of the two sound guilds but not in the main category and it got no other awards except for like worst movie of the year from like random critics it's a downward trajectory and then bumblebee comes out gets the best reviews in the whole franchise right so that's bound to get some awards right and despite being a major return to form it got nothing nothing it didn't get any guilts it didn't get a single visual effects society nomination and it wasn't even shortlisted at the oscars for best visual effects despite being such a, a huge critical return to form so seeing that downward spiral and seeing how this film has reviews that are quite similar to the third film um better than the fourth better than the fifth not as good as Bumblebee. I don't think that this has a chance of coming back up. I don't think it's going to get Visual Effects Society. I don't think it's going to get the Sound Guilds. Uh, and if Bumblebee couldn't get onto the shortlists, I don't think that this will either. While I do agree, I don't think this is going to get the nomination at the end of the day. As we've been doing our predictions each month, we usually struggle at number 9 and number 10 when it comes to visual effects. So with that being said... I could see this maybe squeaking in, depending on how it does at the box office, to keep it in you know, the conversation for the rest of the year. But it probably won't make that short list. Maybe, maybe not. Sound definitely. I don't think it will make the short list. But you know, you know, SAG stunts. Who knows? Sometimes they throw some random no. stuff in there in the, the fifth slot. I'm not saying it's happening, but watch us come back in February. You know, like Transformers: Rise of the Beast, SAG stunt number five. Look, I I could see that happening. If this film wasn't at a 44 on Metacritic, look, I think it should be higher than that. Is that low? 
It's yeah, it's it's between a forty-two to a forty-four. Last I checked, Yikes. and honestly, like I do think it deserves more than that. At least like mid fifties. This is not a horrible movie. It's the best movie since the first one in my mind. It's not great. That's a very low bar to clear with the reviews that it has, and with the fact that it's not going to do well at the box office. It it needs better than that. It's the worst in the series outside of Bumblebee. So if it's if it can't make an improvement from the last ones, I don't see why they'd shortlist it. You already know what time it is. It is. Is draft time here on the show so last week we drafted spider-man movies and it was a super super close tight duel it ended up coming down to one vote i think one vote and you won so this week instead of spider-man we in honor of transformers rise of the beasts because for some fucking reason we're talking about that this week <laughs> fucking what um anyways we're talking sci-fi movies about robots dylan have you prepared your first pick i'm really struggling here and i have come down to a movie and i may get my little cinema card revoked because i have not actually watched this movie but i would be remiss not to take it first overall so give me that movie featuring hal 9000 2001 a space odyssey at the you, first overall pick you haven't seen this movie and you <laughs> took it you bastard hey that's oh why i was God. sitting here it's like i don't want the first overall pick because i can't pass on this movie but i know it's one i probably should take first overall but matt hey. has the next two picks because this is a snake draft so what are the two films that you're taking bro i mean uh, 2001 a space odyssey you should watch it it's my my third favorite movie of all time i want to i'm um, waiting it's amazing i mean i know you like to see movies in theaters for the first time so if you can wait to see this in theaters please do it is worth it it's an amazing movie and uh you should have left it for me but actually i'm not i'm not too mad because i feel like i got two really good movies coming up so number one for me give me spike jones's her okay that's fine joaquin phoenix one of my favorite movies of all time is a beautiful movie it makes me cry every single time scarlett johansson is an amazing robot character in this movie as samantha the ai this movie's tender it's beautiful it's sweet it deserved to win best picture that year and won a very very deserved screenplay prize so her is my first pick and i feel really good about that is it as good as 2001 a space odyssey no it's not but dylan you shouldn't have picked that movie god damn it man number two for me I gotta go with the boy, with the dude, the one who is going to clean up the trash for all of us. Give me Pixar's golden boy, the best movie robot of all time for sure. This is a beautiful movie, even beyond just being a great Pixar movie, a really funny film. This is a genuinely excellent sci-fi movie, and part of the reason why Best Picture has 10 nominees now, because they snubbed The Dark Knight and they snubbed Wally when both of them should have been nominated. Wally. It's great. It's iconic. Wally was gonna be my first overall pick if I did not go with a movie I haven't seen, but um, I'm I'm a little sad that you got it. But hey, that that's the nature of this game right here. I'm gonna go with a movie where there's technically two of these movies I could pick from, and it's really a toss-up. But I think one of these movies is just slightly better than the other one. So give me Terminator Two. That is the better one. <laughs> I'm you glad that correct. you agree. T2, James Cameron, I mean, blah, blah, blah. James Cameron could do no wrong. But on a robot level, the Terminator and all the, the villains, it's it's just so good words. Can't describe. This is one of, if not the most perfect action movies of all time. You are absolutely correct. Terminator 2 is an amazing action movie. The, the entire concept of flipping the villain of the first film into the protagonist of the second, oh my god 
god. James Cameron is a madman, and we respect it here. <laughs> only love for James Cameron on this channel. Speaking of only love of James Cameron, I think I'm going back to him. Aliens, Bishop's a Robot. Yeah. Give me two James Cameron movies, two James Cameron sequels that blow the first one out of the water. I think Aliens takes all the concepts of the first movie, and like I said, levels them up. It's a better action movie. I think it has some better horror elements. It's more funnier. And this is the one, if I'm going to watch one, I'm going to come to this one. And I know I see you shaking your head, but I'm hoping some people out there agree with me here. Look, man, Aliens is great. If you're coming at Alien, mm, oh, you got you got you to gotta <laughs> back your shit up right there. Wow. Man. <laughs> I never expected you to become Ridley Scott's biggest fan. Oh, I'm not, but Alien is great. I will, however, become Ridley Scott's biggest fan here with my next pick because I'm going Blade Runner, baby. This is a great robot movie. I mean, all these replicants, they look exactly like humans. They are all robots. Yeah, it was revealed in the sequel that Harrison Ford was a robot the whole time as well. It was hinted at in this original movie. But look, this is one of the definitive sci-fi movies. It's a great mix of film noir and sci-fi as this detective runs around trying to find these rogue robots. It's one that I always come back to. The music is fantastic. The visual effects are unlike anything else from its era. So yeah, that's that's an easy, easy third choice for me. I would also say Blade Runner 2049 is a, a great one as well, but who knows? Maybe I'll save that for a little bit later. Ooh. Mm, maybe, maybe we'll just save it for a little bit. So, so what are you pairing up with Blade Runner? I mean, you could do it right here. Do mm. Blade Runner, Blade no, Runner 2049. No, 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 no. No, I got a better pick. I'm going to take Interstellar. Tars is a great robot, but we're talking movies with robots. We're not talking robots in movies mm -hmm. because Tars might be a little bit lower there, but Interstellar is a great film just overall in general. It's emotional. It has great music. It is deeply moving. It is one of the most mind-blowing investigations of our universe that I've seen on film. I've seen it a billion times at this point. Me too. Um, I, I love this movie, so uh, that's, an, that's an easy pick for me right there. I also love Interstellar. I'm sad I don't get it, but I'm cool with these next two movies I'm getting because the first one is Ex Machina. and uh, Oh, this, not even I, on my list. Hey, Ex Machina, I think, delivers on a very different angle of what robots can bring to a film because this, instead of being robots are scary bad people, it's robots can be just like us. They have compassion. They have love. They have everything. And I don't want to go too much into what Ex Machina is because if you haven't seen it, it's really worth a watch. It's a great movie. But to pair that, uh, there's two here, but I think I'm going to go with The Iron Giants. That's a great pick. That's low on my list, but it's on my list. I wanted an animation film, and one of the films that uh, I'm kind of debating if it counts or not, I would lean on more or it doesn't, but it was another animated movie, but Iron Giant was one of my favorites when I was a little kid. I feel like a lot of people are just like me. It came out either right before we were born or right after we were born, and it's something that we grew up with, and it's it stuck the test of time. Like, if I watch this today, I'm still going to think it's great as I did all the way back then. Plus, if we're talking movie robots, the Iron Giant is a pretty lovable movie robot. It is. Yeah, that's a great character. Uh, fun fact, I, I, growing up, thought that, I don't know how, I thought that this movie took place in Iceland uh, because there's one line near the end of the movie where an army general says that the nuclear blast that's coming could destroy an area the size of Iceland. So I was like, oh, 
I thought they were in America. I guess they're in Iceland. That's confusing. Nice. All right. So I'm assuming your last pick here is the one that you were being strategic not to take. So I'm excited to hear what it is. I was because it's Star Wars. The original ah. 1977 Star Wars. We got multiple great robots in here. We got C-3PO, R2-D2, which this movie is based on an old samurai movie called The Hidden Fortress. And it's so cool how George Lucas takes these two bickering workers these bickering peasants uh from feudal japan and turns them into two robots and keeps all the humor keeps all of the uh wit between the two of them so star wars is is just a great pick here i am not a huge fan of the series admittedly but the original 1977 film i think is one of the greatest movies of all time uh it's mm-hmm. legendary it stands the test of time going back it remains one of the only films in this series that I truly love. And I think it's a great way to round out my team. I'm very proud of my team, especially with Star Wars on it. I have five of my top six, so that's great. You just have 2001. Well, you definitely, I think, just won the draft there with Star Wars. You know, I thought we were going to go one of these drafts without Star Wars because even though we're not the biggest fans of the movie, it keeps popping up on these draft lists. And I was like, oh, I'm always the one to draft it. I'm going to pass on yeah. it today, so I don't have to have it. Hey, look, man, I uh, something that I'll say is... Even though I don't love Star Wars, here, this is a genuine pick for me, because the Mm -hmm. original Star Wars, 1977, is in my top 50 movies of all time. It's the rest of the movies that I think are kind of mid. Before we recap our teams, I do want to mention some of those, you know, questionable picks I always think about reaching for. So, technically, there are robots in The Incredibles, the Omnidroids, but I feel that's a little bit of a stretch, because they're not, like, very prevalent so see i probably should have taken that over iron giant however some other fun ones i want to mention is nebula and gardens of the galaxy volumes one two or three mm. take your pick i don't think either of those movies really stands out above the other ones so i didn't really feel like picking one over the rest uh wizard of oz has the 10 man technically He's not a man, but is he a robot? I don't know. No, he's not a robot. And then, and then, this character is not a robot, but it's made out of robot because Bruce from Jaws, that's that's one cool robot right there. No, that doesn't count. That's, a, that's creative. It's outside the box, but that is not a robot. It's not a movie about a robot. So to recap my team, Iron Giant was my fifth round pick. I'll go in reverse order this time. Fourth round was Ex Machina featuring Ava. Third round was Aliens with Bishop. Round two was Terminator 2 with all of the T-800s. And round one was 2001 A Space Odyssey with HAL 9000. And on my team, I have Spike Jones, Her. I've got Pixar's Wally. I have Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. I have Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. And wrapping us off, the original 1977 Star Wars. Well, when you say it like that, it doesn't really sound like much of a competition. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I mean, I think you thought I was off to a bad start when I picked her. You guys head out to the YouTube community tab. Go and vote. Let your voice be heard because we got some competitive teams this week, I think. So go, go and vote, please. Please. And while while you're there. We don't want to tie. We don't want to tie. We don't want to tie again. Not not again. Thank you for tuning in to episode 52 of Fantasy Film Ball. You know, we had a pretty short but, you know, very impactful episode this week. We talked post-can acting predictions. We saw a brand new fresh trailer for Poor Things. We drafted the best movie robots because... We watched Transformers Rise of the Beast and gave a review, including talking about that that post-credit scene with G.I. Joe. I mean, let's go. 
Yeah, it's been a really fun week. A little bit of an off-kilter week. Hopefully, 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 fingers crossed, next week we can talk about past lives. I have seen it. Uh, I won't say too much about what I what I think of the film because I'm going to save that for when we talk about it but I'm definitely very interested to hear what you think about it honestly Dylan do you want to hear my prediction yes I would love to I, hear it I don't think you're gonna like it uh oh people won't like that I don't th- I th- I like it uh it's after sun well that means I'm in for a treat well if past lives does not come to me next weekend you will be hearing us talk about, you know, the brand new Pixar film that's going to set the box office on fire because, you know, it's definitely going to do that. Elemental. And uh, that should be a fun one. It should. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about that. Uh, maybe we talk about The Flash if we don't get past lives as well. We got got to zoom over to the, the movie theater to see The Flash. Martin Scorsese said it's the best movie of all time. He also said that about Morbius, so he's got a great track record. I know. Martin Scorsese knows he's a connoisseur of international cinema like Morbius and The Flash. But yeah, it's it's always great chatting. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us on our bullshit, as always. Uh, so thank you so much. And my name is Matt. My name is Dill. <laughs> this is Fancy Film Ball. Thank you for tuning to this episode of Fancy Film Ball with Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at FFilmBall. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show, and come back next week.